Hello, it's Rick Jones, Captain of Fishbait Marketing, coming to you today from the bridge. Your place for all things about corporate sponsorship and event marketing. We've spent the last two weeks discussing event architecture. The next step is continuing our discussion of fit. Um, you know, fit does two things. Firstly, it, it, it starts to answer those three of those four marketing questions. So let's go back and, and, and remind you of those only four marketing questions you have. You know, number one, who do you want to talk to? Who's the target audience? Number two, what do you want to say? Uh, what are the tactics? Number three, where and when do you want to say it? And the number four is the art piece. It's uh, it's the fun part of how you want to say it. Um, uh, fit really begins um, when brands overlap. Um, it um, it's where the audience intersects. It's where their commonalities. It's where this compatibility uh, again compatibility both financial resources and and capabilities uh, along with the compatibility of culture and people fit is about matching the event's architecture to the appropriate brands and those brands objectives but fit also can't operate in a vacuum you've got to be familiar with some of the trends that are in the marketplace so I wanted to spend a few minutes today talking about a few relevant trends that I think are important to determining fit. So here are a few. The first one says simply that supply exceeds demand for most everything. There are more TV shows than I can watch. There are more movies than I can go to. There are more sporting events than I can attend. There are more museums than I can ever visit. Uh, there's more restaurants than I can ever go to. There's lots and lots and lots of choices. And so when you are in a position of choice, it's going to be difficult to sell anything. We also are in an era of the same old mousetrap. Almost everything has become commoditized. Um, you know, uh, it used to be, can I build it to cheaper, faster, better? Well, what happens when there's no longer cheaper, faster, better? What happens when everything is a commodity? you got to stand out differently, and you can't necessarily do it with what is in the DNA of your brand. Um, we also live in an era where the consumer is king, or as I, I like to remind everybody, not really, the consumer is really queen. Uh, women control most of the disposable income of America and make most of the purchasing decisions. But whether it is a king or a queen, it's all about personal self-selection and choice. I can remember several years ago, I'm a really good Santa, and uh, my wife Charlotte will tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm really good at Santa Claus. Uh, and I buy really cool things. But I remember one year being just completely so overwhelmed with work that I didn't have time. So at 4 a.m. in the morning, I got up on the road in a hotel room and bought really cool stuff online that not only showed up at my house, it showed up already wrapped. Now, my wife knew that because she's seen me wrap things and she knew I didn't, I didn't wrap that one. But it was cool stuff. And so I was able to self-select without ever going uh, to a store. Um, another trend is what we call the concrete consumer. We see so many marketing messages today that we've simply become numb to both traditional and non-traditional marketing communications. Um, and so if you tune everything out, how do you get anything through to that concrete consumer? We've also got another 
trend that I call, it's an old country song that says, if the phone doesn't ring, you'll know it's me. Well, what happens when we can literally disregard every message that comes in? You know, I don't answer the telephone if it's a number I don't recognize. I I don't respond to pop-ups on a computer. Um, I, one year, did a study where I collected and kept all of the mail that came from the post office directly to me with my name on the envelope that I didn't bother to open. And by the end of the year, I had two gigantic trash cans that were full. Talk about waste. They knew my name, they knew my address, but they didn't quite perceive that I don't need another credit card or that I'm not looking for another health insurance or I'm not trying to sell my house. Um, And so I'm able to disregard messages just like every other listener out there is able to do that. Uh, We also live in an instant gratification slash constant boredom world. You don't believe it? Look at how many times you look at your social media post. Um, Look at your mobile phone. Look at all the things you need because you're bored and you're looking for the instant gratification. We live in a soundbite world. And unfortunately, when we ask political figures for an answer to a very sophisticated problem, you can't answer that in 15 seconds. You may not be able to answer it in 15 days, and yet we don't allow that to happen. We also live in a world that we see the glass is half empty and not half full. Consumer expectations have changed. And I know I'm the same way. You know, I rent cars from National, and I've been a National Loyal customer for a long, long time. But I still have to get on a bus. I have to get on a bus, and I have to go to the lot. I get to pick out my own car, and then I get to drive away very, very fast. And when I turn it in, I don't have to wait for the receipt. They email me the receipt. But you know what I really want? I want them to meet me at the gate with the keys. I want them parked at the curb. And I'm willing to pay a premium for that. Uh, because my expectations of customer service have changed dramatically. I I heard a story the other day from John Maxwell, who he said he went to a really high-end restaurant in Atlanta, and he asked for a Coke Zero. And they said, I'm sorry, we don't have a Coke Zero, but we do have a Diet Coke. And he said, well, that'll be okay, I'll have a Diet Coke. Well, he said the next time he came in, he started to order, and he said, I'll have a Diet Coke. And the waitress said, Mr. Maxwell, I thought you liked Coke Zeros. And he said, well, I do. He said, well, I, I got some for you now. She had realized that this guy's going to come back to my restaurant more than once, and I'm going to accommodate his needs. That, that's pretty interesting customer service. We also live in the world of what I call horizontal marketing or horizontality. Um, there are no silos in real life. And I'm still amazed at how businesses are organized in verticals. You know, advertising doesn't talk to product development, doesn't talk to PR, doesn't talk to HR. And yet, consumers don't see brands that way. They see brands in their totality. The other trend is um, what I call herding cats. Um, Consumers are not easily corralled today. We think we know about people by their age or their ethnicity or their religion, and yet we don't know them at all. And finally, um, the old model said If a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did it make any noise? But what happens when we can see billions of trees all fall at the same time via digital or social media? The new question is, in that world, 
How Does My Tree Stand Out? We'll continue the discussion of fit in next week's From the Bridge. Now, here's your Tuesday tip. Uh, for those that know me, you know, I sell sponsorships for a living is, is most of what I do. And people ask me all the time about my sales system. I organize my sales efforts in three buckets with five prospects in each bucket. And I call this my five-five-five system. Firstly, I list five prospects that I'm, I'm actually trying to marry. <laughs> I'm trying to close those deals. Uh, I'm ready for them to either say yes or no. I'm ready to get them closed. Secondly, there are five companies that I'm dating. That means that I've had some conversations with them. I may have even shared some collateral materials. I may have met with them, but they've shown some interest in one of the properties I'm selling. And thirdly, I have five listed that I'm winking at. I'm trying to figure out if they would take a meeting with me. I've maybe teased them with a letter. I've maybe sent them an email or left them a voice message saying that I have something that's good for them. And so the process is this. Once someone tells me either yes or no from the Mary column, then I've got to move somebody from the date column over to the Mary column. And I got to move somebody from the wink column over to the date column. And then what do I got to do? I got to go find that 16th prospect and add them to my wink list. Now it's time for our guest angler. Jack Birch is the president of Sponsorship Solved. In a nutshell, what Sponsorship Solved does is it teaches you how to sell sponsorships. Jack works with many of the leading NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL teams, helping their staffs learn how to sell. Jack has had a varied career that I'll let him tell you about, but there are very few people that I know that can both do and teach at the same time. You don't believe it? Think about coaches for a minute. How many of the great basketball coaches were great players. See, most of the coaches weren't great players. They were guys that observed coaches from the bench and became pretty good coaches. In fact, here's a great fact for you today. Only two people are in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame as both players and coaches. One of them is kind of easy. One of them is John Wooden. John Wooden was an All-American player uh, at Purdue University and obviously was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, coach of all time. All right, you're racking your brain. Who's the second? Who's the second coach player in the Hall of Fame? Well, that would be Lenny Wilkins. Lenny Wilkins, who had a great both collegiate and professional career as a player and was a great NBA coach is the only other one in the Hall of Fame. Jack can and does both. Let's welcome Jack Birch.
Hey there, Jack. Welcome to the show, and thanks for being here. Thank you, Rick. Thank you for having me. You know, um, you've had a great career. Give give our listeners some insights in, into your personal journey in the in the world of sponsorship. Well, you know, the short of it is that um, I grew up. My father had a PhD in electrical engineering, and so you know, dinner at our house was like being on the set of the Big Bang Theory. You know, everything was formulized and defined, and you know. It was talked about specifically, uh, processized, I guess, and and that's how life makes sense. And so I went off to school. I got a mechanical engineering degree. Um, I was in the Air Force after school. I was stationed at a place called Hanscom, which is Electronic Systems Division outside of Boston. I bought computers for guys who looked at classified pictures, and you know, after that. Um, I got a call from an older brother of one of my best friends in school, and he said, hey, would you like to be in the sports marketing business? And I thought, oh, my God, is that a job? Um, That's ridiculous. And so I did get into the sports marketing business, and I joined the folks that you know, then then Advantage. It was in my hometown in Washington, D.C. It was spectacular. The offices were in Georgetown. The people were terrific. Um, And I guess I thought – when I started, you know, I said, look, I'm new, obviously. Can you just give me the formulas? I mean, just tell me what to do. Yeah, you're looking, you're looking for systems, right? I'm looking for, yes, I'm looking for systems and processes and formulas because, you know, all the engineering guys know why planes fly. They know why bridges support cars and trucks. They know why buildings stand up. And so they can put together, they can build something that's reliable and they can offer it to the marketplace um, with an unquestioned guarantee. And you're talking about other people's lives and how they're affected. And I thought, oh, oh, oh my God, there are, there are no formulas. You know, there are no, there are no answers actually. And I thought the marketing business was selfish, really narcissistic. And I heard the clients buy what they wanted. Um, what they felt good about. And, you know, I guess I grew up, um, you know, a child, you know, being asked to question your feelings. Well, I feel this way, you know, my mother's response would be, well, that's cause you're 11. So I just thought that, um, wow. And, a, and I was terrible selling it and, and for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons was I just had a hard time, uh, sitting with somebody and being in the, design business, you know, is it going to work? Will it fly? Will the plane fly? And I have to say, I don't know. Now I'm going to ask you for a million dollars. You know, I mean, when I got out there, they basically said to me, the client said to me, Hey, you know, does it work? I don't know. Um, okay, well, that's fine. Um, you know, you're asking me for a certain amount of money. Can you justify that versus other things? Not really. Uh, I have a, a partnership already. Can you help me get the most out of it? No. Can you measure my return on investment? Oh, oh God, no. So then how hard could a guy sell something to another person if none of those questions are answered, I guess I'd say. And so if I look back at it, you know, I was a lousy salesperson, but um, I have my integrity. And so I I never I never really got really good at it until I started to. 
discover why it worked. And so very much like uh, you might say, well, Columbus, you know, quote unquote, discovered America um, by completely by accident, I guess I'd say, and by being deadly wrong. Um, I started to try to formulize or at least processize what worked in all cases with no exceptions. In other words, what were sponsorships equivalent of the principles of aeronautics? And what could you apply all the time that would work and that you could measure? And so that's what led to, um, you know, just honestly just putting together why it works. And then as soon as I knew that, um, I stopped selling uh, sponsorship. I started prescribing it like a doctor. Um, I thought, whoa, I can help you with that. You see, all, all clients only want two things. And one of the things they want is to sell more of their products and services. And the second is a little more complex, but not a lot more complex. Hat tip to Kevin Clancy, um, who's a famous researcher. And the second element is brand equity. And I'm stealing Clancy's seven elements of brand equity. And one is awareness. Another is perceived quality, differentiation, value, loyalty, distribution, personality. Once, once you know that all clients only want two things, then, then, then our job was only left to tie sponsorship to, well, how, the, how exactly does it sell more and how exactly does it build brand equity? And so that's what it's all squeezed down to. You know, what, what I saw you doing when I was younger is have a, a sort of a, Wow, what would I call it? Um, you know, Rick, I mean, I left a meeting with you one time uh, with one of the Charlotte banks, and, you know, we were driving to go to a barbecue place that you knew that was outside of a prison facility. Do, do you remember this? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, this this was Harold's Barbecue outside of the federal penitentiary in Atlanta. Yes, yes, it's true. <laughs> okay, we had sat on a, a, a condo with the bank folks in a, in a room, and they had asked you some questions about what you would recommend and why you would recommend it. And it was almost as if you closed your eyes and started talking, and I thought, whoa. And, and it was exceedingly strategic, I thought, and insightful. And I thought, yeah, now we're talking. Like, And, and here's the funniest thing. We were driving – now, where we were going to this place, you were, we were stopped at a rail. It, it was a, the train was coming, so we had to stop there. And then when we started driving and going across the train tracks, you turned to me and said something like, hey. What happened in there? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, yes. What, I was like, what, what happened in there? Is that what you said? Yeah. He said, I, you, you were like, you know, I just, I don't know. I just lose myself in the, in the moment of it. I thought, oh my God, that's what they're talking about. You know, when you find the right thing for you to be doing, that's what they're talking about. So utterly engaging in it that you almost think to yourself, Hey, that wasn't even me. That's like the kind universe speaking through me. What happened in there exactly? And I, and I, told you what happened <laughs> at the best of my ability. And, um, I, I thought, okay, th- th- there is a, there's a madness to this. There's a method to it. 
What I need to do is to figure out what he's actually doing and then put a name on all that, you see? And then so that I can teach it to regular people because regular people don't don't have that quasi-religious experience where, you know, they're they're speaking from a part of themselves that's uh, instinctually strategic. And so you know that I say, okay, well, okay, we're going to call that this. We're going to call that this. We're going to call that this. And I have the names for all the all the elements. And that's really, you know, all I've done is to steal a little bit of nomenclature uh, approach from the doctors who speak in Latin. So consequently, we pay them pretty well. Or McKinsey um, and the other business folks, a bunch of names for elements of business is in process sound too complex for, you know, uh, the regular person to understand. And so I thought, ah, we, we, our business needs that. You know, it's interesting. I, I, people I've often asked me, you know, is there a magic wand? And I, and I tell them, you know, unfortunately there's not, but there is a magic formula, but this, the part is the formula changes for every client and every possibility and everything. And by you putting what I call ingredients together, you know, compound ingredients, you could say, look, if we put these ingredients together in this particular order or amount, there's a guaranteed output. I mean, there's, 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 and that's what you've done. You've really. Well, at least I've tried to. I don't mean to feel like it's impervious to criticism, improvement, you know, it, it, you, you know, but in the land of the blind, you know, the one-eyed man is king. I'd say, okay, it's just better than everything else. And what it does is it, the inputs change, but why sponsorship works remains the same. No, no different than designing airplanes where you'd say, well, hey, airplanes fly for six reasons and they're called the principles of aeronautics. But now tell me, where do you want to fly? And how many people do you think you'll be taking? And how fast do you need to get there? And just what are your budget? And you might say, well, those are the six questions for airplane design. And so every company, if you will, that has a corporate airplane is going to get a slightly is going to get a different corporate airplane based upon the inputs. And so the inputs for the, the compass are what is their positioning? In other words, what, what do they feel like makes them better and different? What's their brand personality? What are their values? What's their corporate history? What are they trying to sell to whom, when, why, where, for how much? And what's their cause and community program? Because that stuff's published, by the way, online. All that stuff is always published online. And so like a doctor, you can, before you ever see the patient, you can read their whole medical file. You can read their background. And then that that makes the whole process of solving for them um, much more efficient. And you can demonstrate to them that you you have a grasp on what they're trying to accomplish. If, the, if you just went to see the doctor and you, 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 the doctor said, okay, so what, what is it, you know? And you'd say, really? So, so I'm sorry, I published a ton of information about my medical history and you don't even bother to, you don't even bother to look at it. Wow. And that's what I feel like clients think when we show up and ask them something like, what's keeping you up at night? Which, I'm sorry, I could teach a, a sixth grader to ask. And well, I would save so much money, you know, uh, paying a sixth grader, uh, I don't know, minimum wage. And I think the clients would be 
understanding that a sixth grader could ask that. And they would say nicely, okay, hi, write this down. You know what I mean? It's terrible. Well, everybody wants to simplify things too much. And I think there is a process to it. But, you know, I tell people today, you know, there are no layups. Everything's an 18 footer with a hand in your face. It's hard. I mean, and you got, it it is. I mean, it just is. It's hard. But the other thing is, you know, you know, the guy, the guys, I asked the guy the other day, I said, you know, you're not having any success. Is it, is it ignorance or is it apathy? And he said, well, I don't know. And I don't care. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. So at that point, defense rests. But, but you have really, I want to say compartmentalized. That's probably too, too tight of a word, but you've really been able to, to articulate why sponsorship works. You know, if, if my, you know, and we fought it for years where if somebody's advertising didn't work, well, that's fine. They just fire their ad agency and go get another ad. But, but, but what happened in our business was they would say, well, we tried sponsorship and it didn't work. Uh, and, and I would always go, no, you, yeah, you tried it wrong. And, or when and, we came up, they said, well, you know, no offense or anything. We don't even have any budgets for this. So would you like us to move something from this to this? And, you know, I got to look at them and say, well, would I like you to? I, I'd like you to. But it's down deep. Would I blame you for not doing it? No. Would I? How could I? I don't yeah. even know what I'm talking about. And I'm recommending it to you. It's, it's the difference between being a witch doctor and being a doctor. It's more like, well, this is dance, and you might believe it. And people have have had a lot of faith in witch doctors for years. It just doesn't have any grounding and process driven science. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. I want to talk a little bit more in depth about the campaign compass. Um, and, and I mean, because you, what you've done is you have brought sequential systems to the table. I tell people there's a great deal of science. To the business now. What I like and what you referred to, my uh, savant <laughs> qualities, you know, is I, I, lo- I love the art of the deal. I mean, I but that's the last piece of the puzzle. You know, I do appreciate your modesty, but man, dude, uh, it, there is a if you're an artist, you don't need to paint by numbers, but most people need to paint, and especially if you're starting, you need to paint by the numbers. And by the way. Painting by the numbers looks damn good. It looks a whole lot better than here. Here's a piece of paper, you know, good luck. Well, that's what you do now for a living. I mean, you really give people that their paint brushes and their paints and, and the paint by numbers system, uh, and you use a system to talk, talk, talk about that. Well, you know, in, in, to, to play that analogy out, I say, Hey, here's your, you, you're, you're new to this. Yeah. All right. Well, you see that I'm going to give you this one, two, three, four, five, six. You see those six numbers on there? Yes. Take this green color, fill in all the ones. Take the orange, fill in all the twos. Take the blues, fill in all the threes. Well, the next thing you know, a mosaic, a picture starts to emerge. They think, wow. The clients literally think, wow, that's perfect for us. (laughs) You're like, I know it is. You see, because it's your positioning in the game. So, so one of the things that, that I, I did for a couple of reasons, you know, uh, interest, insecurity, and uh, bachelorhood, I guess, were three things that contributed in my younger years to reading books. I had to read a lot of books because I, I didn't know what was going on. I was interested mostly to help the clients. I was also um, insecure because I guess I, 
I wasn't having the success that I wanted to have as a quote unquote salesperson. And, and lastly, I wasn't married. So, you know, I didn't have the sort of responsibilities that a young family, a, a man would have with a young family. And, uh, so I had five hours a night to read, you know, I mean, once sports center is off, you know what I mean? What, what are we doing? So anyway, I, I ended up reading a lot of books and, and I finally put it together, not from our side of the equation, but from the brand side of the equation. And one of the thi- one of the book, one of the greatest marketing books of all time is called uh, Positioning, The Battle for Your Mind. It's by uh, Trout and Rise, Jack Trout and Al yep, Rise. Yeah, great, great. And it's a great, it's simple, so lovely, yeah. how the brain really thinks about brands kind of book. And man, I thought so. So positioning became then sort of my North Star for um understanding really what they want to accomplish. And positioning by definition is a little Venn diagram and you can label the three areas of the diagram, you know, relevant to the consumers, true about the brand, and different are distinctive. And usually you you find the brand's positioning in the tagline because the client has done a lot of work to figure out if they could just put one thing forward to the to the consuming public, what would they put forward? And so somebody like FedEx will say, well, we're going to put together we're, – we're, here's what we've done. We've done, a, we've done nine months of strategy, and I paid a lot of smart people a lot of money, and here's what I've got at the end, absolutely positively overnight. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. So then when FedEx, let's say, does PGA golf, they do the FedEx Cup, you know, they say, well, do you have any ideas for us? Now, there's two ways to look at it. We can sit in a room and say, hey, I have an idea for FedEx. Why don't they do and throw about a bunch of ideas? Or you, or we can say, well, you already have an idea. Well, I'd say you have two. One of your ideas is absolutely positively, and your other idea is overnight. And our job is to use an analogy in the game that communicates your unique positioning, what makes you better and different than anybody else. I happen to like overnight because I think it's a modern miracle that I can put an envelope. I can basically toss it out on the street and then it shows up a block away from my house because I'm too lazy to carry it there myself the next morning by 10 o'clock for 12 bucks. And it goes through Memphis. It, I mean, I'm sorry. What'd you say? That's true. You see? So overnight's amazing. And overnight for, let's say, a golf tournament is pretty true, too. You can, you know, all the guys, you know, all the groundskeepers, all the volunteers, all the players, all the caddies, all the TV people. Oh, my God. What happens overnight is incredible. And so I wanted to shoot overnight. But, of course, what won was absolutely positively, which is the reliability zone. Hit it in the fairway. Get your par. Get your birdie. Hit it in the rough. Get, get your bogey, get punished. You see, absolutely positively matters in the game. And all we're doing is reinforcing absolutely positively using golf as an analogy. And so this idea of using the sport as an analogy to reinforce the positioning or demonstrate it called, we call it positioning authenticity. What it results in is something fantastic and that all clients want. It literally results in teaching the fans what makes the brand better and different via analogy. You just sort of tap, 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 tap on that nail a bunch of times until it's through the other side of the board and then you secure it. And, you know, I think, ah, see, so one of the reasons sponsorship works is an analogy. All the fans are familiar with moments in the game 
You know, if you if you go to McDonald's and you order fries, you're thinking I have a sense of anticipation of what fries are like. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that makes McDonald's amazing is that it doesn't matter whether you show up in San Diego or Singapore, fries are fries. And you go and say, hey, can I have fries? And they say, yeah, would you like to biggie size that? I like biggie size. Isn't there something bigger than biggie size? And I go up to the window and I get the fries. And sure enough, they're the perfect temperature. They have the perfect outside, the perfect inside. I put them in my mouth. I eat them. And I think to myself, <laughs> I actually am loving that. I am loving that. And so that great sense of anticipation fulfilled is what you might get if you go to a basketball game, Rick, and the other coach, we run off 12 points and the other coach has to walk out to the, to the, you know, to, to the midcourt and call timeout. Like I surrender, you know, and you're, and you might as well just say, bum, 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 bum. Cause I came with a sense of anticipation to the game, you know, and this was it. I am loving it. And so you get, you really have feeling placement in the game for the brands. And that was a revelation to me that we, we offered something that no other medium could offer feeling placement in the game, drill down on the positioning, get the word they want, get the idea that that communicates, get the feeling that they want down deep inside of a person and then put their name on that right when it happens. And that is amazing. No, it really is. And you know, my, uh, we're, we're running out of a little time today. I'm going to have you come back next week and continue, continue to talk about this, but you know, my favorite word in the English language as a salesperson is the word annuity. <laughs> I, I, I just love annuities. And one of the things about your process is they create annuities. They create, they're so strategic, they're so on point that why would I switch? Why would I quit doing it? You know, we, talk, we talked recently about game day built by the Home Depot. You know, they're, they're in their 22nd year. I, I, don't, I don't need to fix that. There's a reason Home Depot's kicking Lowe's ass. Uh, they figured out what they are differently. Now, I think new management of Lowe's is going to make some changes, but, but clearly they understand that. And so I want, to, I want to close today by talking about a couple of what I call annuity figures. You, you uniquely went to two of the greatest basketball institutions on the planet. You, you went to DeMatha High School, where Morgan Wooten was without question the greatest high school coach in the history of the game. And then you went to Duke, and they got a pretty good guy there now, too, by the name of Mike Krzyzewski. I, I consider those to be what I call excellence annuities. But what I like about both of them is they never really coached the same. They took what they had, the ingredients they had, and they molded that into championship teams. And that's kind of what you're doing today at Sponsorship Solved with young people as you're showing them to take the best ingredients they have and, and do that. Talk about those two guys. You're a basketball guy. And well, look, I, I grew up in College Park Woods. Wooten lived in College Park Woods. I went to his basketball camp, first as a student, then as a referee. You know, we got to climb up the ladders. I ref the games at the camp. Then I coached the team at the camp after that. Wooten taught freshman history at DeMatha. He was great, by the way. He was a great history teacher. Yeah, most great coaches are great teachers, no question. Yeah. You know, we would pile into his station wagon, and, you know, we didn't think too much about it. And so I feel like – but he was 
he was really well prepared. You know, when I think about it, he had a set, he had a system, you know, he had a set of processes. He had a way to do things and he could take a group of young people and turn them into a team and um, after he built up a bit of a track record, that probably got a little bit easier to do. But I really thought his preparation, first of all, he's a regular guy, so he's not a pretentious person. The second is his preparation is off the charts. And I guess his, his serious care about the kids is really good. And, and Mike has the same thing going on. When, when, when Krzyzewski came to the campus, we called him. I was at a dorm called Gilbert Adams. Okay, Called him up. I said, hey, um, you're new. He was 33. Um, can you come speak Gilbert Adams? He said, yeah. Uh, we have a house meeting on Tuesday at 730. Can you be there Tuesday at 730? He said, yeah. I said, would you like me to come and pick you up? He said, no, I'll be there. Okay. He rolls in. And he, we, first of all, we're losing our minds, screaming, let's go Duke. Okay. So he's positively tingling as a 33 year old guy with like, like half, what have I gotten myself into half? uh, You know, I just showed up from West point and I'm, you know, did I have the guy? It's like just bedlam girls and guys. It was a co-ed dorm. So it was a, was absolute rock show. And we were standing on top of couches, beating on the ceiling and screaming, let's go Duke. And he he sits there in a chair and goes, He was trying to get a hold of himself, and he looks up, and he basically says, I love it here. I know everybody's smarter than me. I love walking around campus. I love talking to people. I think he was being a little modest about that because he's, he's a brilliant guy. But And so, you know, he said, look, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not this and I'm not that, but let me tell you what I am. I'm a damn good basketball coach. He said that to us. And if you give me a chance, I will, um, I will bring you a great basketball team. We went nuts, but he does the same thing as Wooten. You know, he's, he's well prepped. He's a regular guy. He shows up, he drove, drove home. Thank you. Yeah. You know, he probably charges $20,000 for that now, you know, but he's got, he's got deep down where both coaches lived. As you said, they had, uh, they had great processes. Hey, Jack, thanks for some terrific insights today. Uh, we'll have you back uh, on the next segment of from the bridge. Are you getting hungry? Great. It's time for our segment, On the Road with Rick. We all have our favorite chefs and our favorite restaurants. Well, I have mine, uh, both of those, in one package. (laughs) They're all in the same place. My favorite chef is a guy named Frank Stitt, and my favorite restaurant is one of his called the Highland Bar and Grill in Birmingham, Alabama. Frank Stitt is simply a genius. Sometimes I go in there to eat, and I just tell the waiter to bring me whatever he thinks I might want to eat that evening, because I know whatever they're fixing is going to be amazing. I trust Frank, and I trust that kitchen. He only cooks with local fresh ingredients. He cooks with lots of fresh vegetables and lots of fresh seafood, Um, but he's a classically trained, you know, really chef in the French tradition but he brings that French techniques with Southern ingredients. You can't go wrong with anything that you order at the, at the Highland Grill, but if you can only order one dish, let me suggest you order the baked stone ground grits with prosciutto 
and mushrooms. It's an appetizer. I get it every time I go, and it makes me very happy. When you're in Birmingham, head to the Highlands. That wraps us up for the day from the bridge. I look forward to seeing you next week. And remember to contact us with any thoughts and suggestions at my email address, rick at fishbaitmarketing.com. We'll see you next week. Everybody wants me to be what they want me to be. This has been your captain, Rick Jones, from the bridge. If you like what you hear, please share, subscribe, and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory. Much troubles.